And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome, everybody, to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here of The Athletic, along with Randy Mueller, general manager of the XFL Sea Dragons, three-time NFL GM, former NFL Exec of the Year, and we have a show today that we are very excited about. Randy's going to rank uh, the running backs and tight ends in the draft. We got a bunch of news to hit. But Randy, off the top, this is a people business. And people think the general manager of a team uh, you know, is just sitting there preparing for drafts. But this week, I just wanted to acknowledge um, you know, the passing of Chris Smith, who played for your XFL Sea Dragons, just uh, a... a jolt to the chest here uh drop it to your knees in the middle of a season we spent a lot of time talking about football and and what teams should do or the draft or this or that but it is a people business randy what a very difficult week for you just wanted to say condolences here i'm sure from all the listeners too well i appreciate that mike yeah there's like i told uh, you and marissa there's no handbook for dealing with this kind of stuff in the gm notebook i mean really it's yeah it's been a tough, tough thing to follow and to be a part of. And we are all hands-on here at the Sea Dragons offices. And I think I put this on Twitter. Chris was more than a football player. He was in all of our lives, um, a magnanimous personality. I've had a chance to get to know his parents over the last couple of days who have obviously come because of the tragedy. And uh, great, great people who I gained strength from. And I'll say this, and I'm not saying this in jest either, Chris Smith made me better just in the six weeks I've been around him. I love the guy and actually became very attached to him. So it's it's a sad time. Um, it's something that you hope you never have to go through, no matter what your business, when you lose a friend and an employee. And I know it happens a lot in the world, but these guys on football teams now, it's, it's a brotherhood. It's a really close-knit group. And yeah, it's been hard. Um, Hard to get through, but our guys are resilient, like most, and hopefully uh, we're going to gain some strength from Chris's parents, like I said, who have been awesome. But it's been a tough go, and uh, hopefully we can muster up enough win. We're in a kind of a playoff hunt, not that that's is important yeah. part of the story, but uh, yeah. these guys have a job to do as well. And, and I thought the outpouring for Chris Smith on social media around the world – was incredible. And I didn't know some of the things that I learned over the last 24 hours about Chris. I mean, I read this in the London Times last night, laying in bed, wow. a story and a picture. And, you know, NFL Films did a video tribute. And we're going to do some things in Seattle this weekend to honor him as well. But I thought the out outpouring was very relevant to his personality and how much he has rubbed off on everybody he touches throughout his 31 years. Absolutely, yeah. What a great tribute to him and to his family. You know, I was thinking as this came down, at the same time, DeMar Hamlin now is relaunching his career. You know, you yeah. think about the ups and downs and, and what people go through, just not just on the field. I mean, yep. off the no field, doubt. there's so much uh, that can weigh heavy on, on, on everyone's hearts. So certainly, did you have one other thing there? Well, right? I was just going to say, and we've talked about it here on the GM pod, when GMs take jobs, when people mm -hmm. of decision-making level get these jobs, in the NFL especially, it's not just to sit in a room and pick players. Trust me. Yeah. There are other things that you have to deal with, and it's a very people-oriented business and job. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard thing, I think, that owners, that, that search firms, that people that really struggle with the dynamics of these decision-making jobs uh, evaluate when they put people in these chairs. And, and I'll be honest, it's not for everybody. And, and these are the reasons yeah. why. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, your leadership certainly um, is 
your experience in leadership can't prepare you for everything, but you just have to fall back on what you think is right yep. and treating people right. right. And, and uh, you know, the team, you're right. The team has to move on. There's going to be a playoff yep. push, but uh, hard to reconcile those things sometimes when, no doubt. when the human element is involved. Um, as for our show this week, I did mention we will get into some of the draft previews. We have some news, too, uh, Randy. Jalen Hurts, Super Bowl quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Five-year, $255 million extension. What a great story when you yeah. think about, you know, when he came in and they drafted him, people were, oh, you might upset Carson Wentz. Uh, what are you doing? <laughs> this guy can't even throw. You know, yeah. whatever. He was criticized as a passer, all these things. Looks pretty good now, huh? Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. And I, I actually said this on Twitter a couple of days ago when he signed it. I don't think I have seen a player in all of my years in the NFL come from where he was when getting benched in the national championship game at Alabama to then transferring to Oklahoma to actually working on and improving his trade um, beyond measure, gets gets to be a second-round pick with the Eagles, and now to sign a contract like this, I would have bet a lot of money against this. <laughs> Maybe not $255 million, but it has been an, a meteoric rise of epic proportion, and I don't think I've ever seen it. And it is a credit to... Jalen, it is a credit to his work ethic, his upbringing, his intangibles, because they really matter when you're talking about writing a check like this. All of that has to be part of it. And I think he's a not only a, a light in, in, in a hope for, a, a, you know, Philadelphia, the city of, but a lesson for young kids, for everybody involved, they can gain something from this story. And I think it's really cool. Is this a one in a million thing, Randy? Or is there something to be said for the, hey, take take quarterbacks? You know, I remember we used, Ron Wolf's probably most famous for doing it. They always had guys in Green Bay in the 90s, right? They'd pick a Ty Detmer or a, shoot, they had Kurt Warner in camp, Matt Hasselbeck, even though they had Brett Favre. So is there anything to be said for that? It's kind of hard to do, isn't it? <laughs> the picks are so few, but uh, yeah. it can pay off. It can pay off. I also think it's another testament in the developing of players by NFL staffs, by NFL yeah. scouting departments, by NFL groups in general, because of the fact that they can develop players. And it just goes to show, I don't think the Eagles thought they had a starting quarterback when they drafted him in the second round. I'll be honest. If you gave Howie Roseman yeah. some truth serum, I'd yeah. say he probably thought, in fact, he and I texted a little bit about this because I liked the pick in the second round. I thought it'd be a nice package. Uh, they could put together on offense where he could run the ball, do some things, because right. I surely didn't view him as an NFL passer. But every step of the way, this kid has gotten better and better and better and handled more. Sometimes you see these guys, when you throw more at them, they go the other way, right? The more you put on their shoulders, they go downhill. This guy is the trajectory and the trend has gone up. And every step of the way, he's passed with flying colors. So I think it's yeah. awesome. And, and I don't know about one in a million, but it is a, sure, a true testament to you can get better at this game. Yeah, I think, you know, what's interesting to me about uh, them now moving forward is, you know, when you pay a quarterback, obviously, you you lose some of the resources to help your team. So yep. sometimes if you pay top dollar for a middling quarterback, you, you might be okay, but it can be hard to get, you know, all the way over the, the top. And I think if we assume that, over the next few years, it'll be harder for the Eagles to be as good around them, right? Let's say they lost a bunch of coaches. Uh, they had some age in a few spots. Uh, maybe defenses will be a little bit wiser to their incredible quarterback sneak package or whatever, the scheming part of it. Mm -hmm. the, the competition probably catches up a little bit to you as you go, and you could oftentimes then need more from your quarterback, right, for him to carry more of the load. How do you feel about that? Is is, is he tapped out in this trajectory, or do you think we – do you have hope that he's going to get even better so that when they do fall off, maybe they're a, the 22nd defense in the future, that they can still be in the mix with him? I would never say Jalen Hurts is tapped out after what I've witnessed the last four years. So yeah. I don't think that's a worry of mine. I mm -hmm. think, and I'll let you speak on this, you're kind of the numbers guy. The way Howie Roseman uh, has structured this contract, I think is unique. I'm not surprised by the total dollars. You can frame this just the way Mahomes' deal was framed when he signed it. I think every NFL guy would tell you that, that Jalen Hurts is a top five quarterback. The only thing right now missing is maybe the elevation of other players around him because he's 
you know, uh, not to Mahomes' status, but that's about it. So I think the way they structured this contract with the cap dollars, the way they've divided it up, still gives them a chance to put a really good product on the field, especially for the first four or five years of this deal. Then it's a crapshoot anyway. Then you're talking about redoing, and we talked about this on the pod before too, redoing, putting more guarantees on, reducing cap numbers for the next two or three years. This is a lifetime marriage. This is a career marriage, a deal like this. And so they will work hand in hand with Jalen and his reps now to create cap room whenever they need it. That's why I never have understood the Lamar Jackson die on the hill of a fully guaranteed deal when all these deals become fully guaranteed at some point. For quarterbacks. Yeah, for quarterbacks. So I I like it. That's the thing is like, you know, when you really think about guaranteed contracts, um, yes, there's a lot of players that that it would really benefit them. Quarterbacks really aren't one of them. They get their money. They they don't really move on from a starting quarterback. Unless you just happen to get Tom Brady, luckily, right? <laughs> or something like that. So if Lamar or Jalen or any of these guys is good enough to start, look at Kirk Cousins or whatever, you're yeah. going to get your money. So um, uh, structure-wise, you're right. The the cap numbers, I saw Adam Schefter tweeted this. The cap numbers in the first four years are about 6, 14, 22, 32. Uh, pretty nice for Great. a four-year yeah. run. Yeah, I, I stacked those up next to the ones on Patrick Mahomes' deal at the time if he did it. He's since redone his deal. But really, it's about the same as Mahomes was in the first year, and then it's about $10 million cheaper per year in years two, three, and four. That gives them some flexibility. And I, and I think no from a cap standpoint, there's no one probably more proactive than the Eagles, right? I mean, Howie Roseman kind of came up in that cap world. Jake Rosenberg's there. Those guys probably know how to do all of that stuff as well as anybody. So uh, maybe they'll they'll have the flexibility, right? And they're aggressive. Their owner's willing to spend. We're going to talk yep. a little bit about the difference between spending and wasting, but they're willing to, they're willing to do stuff. They're, I thought, yes. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think both Jake and Howie are really good at their jobs. In fact, Jake will probably be a GM here in the next couple of years and, and should get an opportunity uh, <clears throat> based on a lot of what the other hirings have been around the league. Why not take a look at, you know, somebody yeah. like this who is, fashioned a cap situation uh, and the numbers to go with uh, some great evaluating that the Eagles have done. I think the whole thing for me is it's framed with the idea that we can continue to grow our team. It's not the most important thing is to, from, from Hertz's standpoint, the most important thing is not to get me my money. I think you see a team concept here of similar to what Brady did, similar to what Mahomes did. And guess what? He's going to make money because they win games. Now, that may be off the field. It may be someplace else. But there's a long-range approach, in my mind, to his side and the business deals that he and his um, people are making that's going to fill his pockets beyond what he'll ever need. And it's multi-generational money. So to to pick that uh, a situation where I'm going to get all guaranteed like Lamar has just makes less sense to me. I was asked on a couple of radio shows the last couple of days, what does this do to Lamar's deal? Now, does it go through the roof? I don't think it changes a thing. I'll be honest with you, Mike. I really don't. No, they're having two different conversations. Yes. It, and, and I don't think anybody sees Lamar as a top five or six quarterback in the NFL at this point. So let's just start with that premise. And I know everybody will say, oh, you hate her, this and that. Not true. It just, and he's the MVP, Randy, in yeah, 2019. Yeah, I understand. But <laughs> I guarantee you this, that Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, these guys aren't going to get fully guaranteed deals, and they're not really going to even ask for it. They may ask for it because in the end, there'll be some other bargaining chip that they get for coming off of that demand, but they're not going to end up with fully guaranteed deals either. So the the, the but, fact yeah. that that's what we want is, I think, a faulty negotiating stance. That's all. Yeah. And and Hertz, uh, uh, for his part, I think two things were interesting there. One is uh, putting him in the top five of quarterbacks, and we haven't done the quarterback tiers exercise this offseason. I don't know that ever that everyone will have him that. I think that's really, really high praise. So you're you're moving him kind of into that tier one range off of what you've seen. We've been a little proactive in, in you and I, I say, yeah. at, because yeah, well, I, I think- I get credit for your evaluations. Well, yeah. I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> I know this. Uh, went, before everybody else was sold on Hertz, yeah. I think you and I had the discussion that there's some stuff there to work with now. When it came to moving Russell Wilson out of Seattle, I remember you and I had a discussion on yeah. this. and. That would have been a place that I would have loved to have seen John Schneider and Pete Carroll go get Hertz and give them Russell Wilson. But he hadn't got, I guess, enough body of work to prove to some, much like Daniel Jones was in the same boat, and now he's been paid as well. So I do think the evaluations matter. I think the scheme matters. I think the system matters. 
And I think just the general principle behind how this thing was structured all matters. So it's it's a good fit for everybody. And that's why I was going to say the other thing I, I was alluded to on Hertz was on this contract. Yes, there is a team-friendly structure there, but he still gets his wins. He gets yes. the highest APY, right? He yep. got the no trade clause waived. So his agent, when she, it's Nicole Lynn is his agent, when she goes you know, to, to recruit clients or she whatever. She can recruit off of this. She can no recruit doubt. off of this, yep. but it's yep. not, but it doesn't have to be an absolute, you know, we, we, you're not going to just, you're not going to go just defeat Howie Roseman completely, right? right. I mean, you're going right. to get a compromise deal. So uh, this one's really good. There's wins for everybody. And, and the biggest win is if he is a top five quarterback in the league, then a lot of this other stuff is just details, right? I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I'll be yeah. looking forward to your tears this summer when you do that because yeah, I think yeah. he's going to be rated higher than a lot of people think. Yeah. I just think he's a good player that he was in the MVP yeah. talk last year. So yeah. I don't know how, and maybe their system changes a little bit now that Shane Steichen is gone, but I think they understand this kid's skill set and how he needs to operate. But I also think he's gotten a lot better at throwing the football from the pocket. So we'll see if that can go to the next step as well. Absolutely. It'll be a great discussion point for this offseason. Good for him. Good for the Eagles. A couple quick ones here before we move on to your draft rankings of running backs and tight ends. Uh, Rams trading Allen Robinson to the Steelers. I, I was trying to read what wait, what was traded here. They, they switched <laughs> picks in the seventh round. That's nothing. Throw that aside. Right. Uh, basically, the Rams are saving five million bucks, I think, on this one. They are, well, I don't they're know. Are saving, they really? They're not saving $5 million. Put it <laughs> yeah, this way. Are they? They're going to pay $10 million of the salary. <laughs> to save $5 million the, in cap. Is that so, right? Well, they're going to pay $10 million and the and the Steelers are going to pay $5 million. Okay. So otherwise, they would have had to pay $15 million, right? So whatever. Uh, there's a couple of components to this thing. I mean, uh, what's your first takeaway seeing it? A typical, you know, I won't say it. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I just I look at the amount of money that the Rams have flushed cash wise, yeah. and I see it a little different. In that, I don't know how I could go into Stan Kroenke's office and say, "Hey, Stan, we're doing a great job keeping k- taking care of your money. You know, we won one Super Bowl. Now we're going to try to win another one. We're in a semi rebuild here." I just would be nervous dumping, and you can say it's sunk cash, sunk costs. I don't know how we term it, but they have made decisions to sign multiple players to giant money deals, and in some cases give away high draft picks to get them, and they've kind of washed them out now. So they they are, I'll give them credit, they're ahead of the curve in a lot of their thinking. I'm not sure I could do this because this is a hard one, unless you're just printing money in the back lot in, in LA somewhere and it doesn't really care. I, I bristle at the times when people say, oh, the cap's just funny money. It's not, people, trust me. It no, is real. Gotta- it is pay. real. Yeah. And at some point you have to pay. Now we all use credit cards for some of our debts in real in the real world. And that's what teams do. They use credit spending, but eventually you got to pay the credit card bill. And so that's kind of, you know, th- this is a hard one for me only because of what they paid Allen Robinson a year ago, what they paid the corner that they traded, what they paid Goff that they traded. Yeah. It's go- You can go on and on with a lot of cash that has just been flushed. So I would like to hear how that conversation goes. I've never worked for an owner like that that doesn't care about his cash. So I, I'd like to know how that conversation goes. Well, we're going to flip. We're going to continue on that vein when we talk about the Trey Lance rumors. But first, I just wanted yeah. to say from a Steelers standpoint, they've been pretty good in their acquisition of wide receivers over the years, especially through the draft. Now, yes. granted, that was uh, Kevin Colbert was the general manager. They, Omar Khan's the GM now, so we don't know if it's going to be exactly the same, but are you, if you're, should Steelers fans be excited to get an Allen Robinson, uh, you know, at a discounted salary, I guess, from what, with the Rams paying a bunch of it? I would be ecstatic because if we can get the Allen Robinson of two years ago in, in Chicago, yeah. or actually maybe three years ago, he was one of the better receivers in the league. So I think it helps the Steelers big time. It's risk-free. Like you said, the, the compensation is minimal. It's not even, uh, it doesn't even register. And the upside for that kind of risk, to me, is I'd take that deal every day. And you liked Kenny Pickett coming out. Nice little addition for him, right? Yep. Give him yep. a veteran. No doubt. So, I think it's a yeah. great team-building move for them to strengthen a position that only makes them better and strengthens Kenny Pickett as well. Yep. So we were talking about you weren't sure you could go into Rams owner Stan Kroenke's office as a GM <laughs> and say, uh, hey, I'm taking good care of your your money, your resources. Uh, so I wanted to use that to segue into this news from, I think it was from Ian Rappaport, uh, saying 
the 49ers are receiving inquiries from several teams looking into a potential trade for Trey Lance. Mm. And get this, Randy. Mm. Quote, the conversations have been the result of SF, San Francisco, fielding the calls, not making them. <laughs> of course The team's aware that Brock Purdy is likely the future starter. So right. sounds like this would be possibly coming from the 49ers, who, by the way, I think a couple of years ago gave up a ton to get Trey Lance. So our and Trey Lance has started four games. Brock Purdy started more than that, but not a ton more. Had an arm surgery. So what do you make of this? You're the reporter, and I'm not questioning <laughs> Ian Rappaport, but this seems like a pretty well-placed source story <laughs> that may benefit an agenda generated by somewhere in the Bay Area. I'm not sure of all the details behind it, but that's just me being maybe a little cynical. But yes, I think they're trying to drum up some some Trey Lance interest. But again, I go back to the amount of assets that they gave away to get up to get Trey Lance. It was a giant risk. It was then lauded as the greatest move ever by all the most of the media, by everybody involved. And now it's back to, oh man, we're going to give this guy up for a discount. So let's just say it's true. Let's say there are a couple teams that are interested and and there's a two-team bidding war. What are they going to get for Trey Lance? You tell me that. Tell me what what, what could you possibly get that you could go into Jed York's office and say, hey, we got this done. We gave up two number ones. Yeah, two wasn't it? You tell me what they gave up to get up to get him, and I'll tell you what I think makes sense to to move. It was a a ton. Yeah, I'd have to look it up. It was was so much stuff. Yeah, Yeah. it was a lot of stuff. Right. Uh, And and now you got Rand Carthon in Tennessee. And I think part of Ian's report was maybe Atlanta because of the system that they run. Uh, I mean, what could you get? A a third or fourth round pick? I mean, I I don't. That's about it, right? Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it depends on what people would see in him. I, I think four starts is not very many to evaluate him. Well, I sure couldn't give him more than a project uh, type grade after three years, you know, right? He should have more value to the 49ers than anyone because they're yes. the ones who loved him. What yes. would they, what have they seen to hate him other than Brock Purdy look good? Yes. I mean, it's, you know, you, it's, yeah, it's a sales job that yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, yeah. I go yeah. back to the Carmen policy days, the way they used to come up with some, some crazy scenarios that suited them that they used to float around the league. And this is another one of those that I don't, I mean, I don't distrust. Shanahan or Lynch or anybody, they know what they're doing. But yeah, but, uh, again, I, I can't. They they gave up all this for Trey Lance, and and now they're willing to sell him at a discount. I just it's something I don't know that the knowing of which has to change everything. Yeah, well, there's there's just some really big, especially on the really big moves. You know, I, I think there's they've made some. They obviously win just about every, you know most of these years, and and they've got a good team. Uh, but some of these moves, I think another one was trading to Forrest Buckner, and then you end up drafting uh, Kinlaw, and that, you know, okay, now we're signing uh, the top defensive free agent up front, uh, Javon Hargrave this year. You know, right? Those are resources too, right? That are yeah, uh, I mean, being it, used off of decisions. So no doubt, and I guess timing maybe is involved. Yeah. Some years you have a better cap situation than others, sure. and, and I get it, but. I thought Buckner was one of the top defensive linemen in the league, and I think the the common narrative when they left him was let him go was they couldn't afford him. Well, I guess they could afford Hargrave, and and I, yeah. I like them both. So I just yeah, don't know. You're, you're kind of spinning your wheels, to be honest with you. Yep. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Before we get into the draft rankings and then later the GM notebook, one 49er uh, note here. Dave Wilcox died. Remember Dave Wilcox? He's I sure a, do. A little Justin's bit. Justin's dad, right? The head coach at Cal? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hall and of Fame I'm, Dave Wilcox, right? Hall of Fame linebacker. He played yeah. 64 to 74. So I'm just a few years younger than you are, so I don't remember him playing. Uh, uh, but I, I looked up a pretty cool little story on him when he, when he was playing and you may have a thought or two on him as well. But, uh, Dave Wilcox said something kind of, we we started this off talking about, you know, the people component of the game and why it's enjoyable to be involved in team sports. And, uh, I thought there was a couple things that were cool that Dave Wilcox said, uh, in a newspaper story back when he was playing in the seventies, he said, he sounded like Mueller here. He goes, look, I'm from Vail, Oregon. That sounds like I'm just an Idaho guy, a little, little <laughs> small town Idaho guy. Yeah. I'm from Vail, Oregon. If it hadn't been for football, I'd probably never even flown on an airplane. He said, I really dig the game, a little 70s, uh, yep. you know, Love 70s yeah. worded, wording there. I really dig the game. Where else can you get 40 people working their butts off toward one goal? It's kind of a unity thing. It's part of being something good. Athletics teaches an individual. He said, the first thing it teaches you is you're not going to, win everything hmm. he said the toughest thing about football for me is going to be when i have to quit i don't want to be a hanger on or going from one team to another and and he's one of those guys who was a hall of fame player who played his whole pl- career in one place and then when it was time to move on he was done yeah dave wilcox passed away he's 80 years old god bless him i feel, i love the story and i love the correlation mike because you're right that's old school and it's small town and yeah. you don't see it quite as much nowadays. I met Dave and his wife one time in an airport, and um, we got to talking. I think it was when I was in Seattle at the time, and so they were kind of Seahawk fans because they were obviously yeah. Eugene people and, and Oregon people, and uh, we got to talking, and they had remembered me playing in, at Linfield, another Oregon town, and, and we had an awesome conversation one time, and it was like me talking to my friends and family back in little Idaho. It was It's yeah. funny you bring it up because – and I've known Justin through the years as well. Um, yeah. really good coach, really wired the same way. You just root for people like that that are really well-grounded. And and I don't think people realized how good of a player Dave Wilcox was. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I took away from it. When when you study him like you have, like some of us that have grown up in the game, really an awesome player and, and doesn't get enough credit for being a Hall of Fame player. I know. Believe it or not, the 49ers were not founded when Bill Walsh got there. There were players yeah. there before that <laughs> right. who were pretty right. good, even if the right. team wasn't as successful. So no rest in peace, Dave Wilcox. Let's hit the running back rankings, shall we? Yeah, I love it. I think it's awesome. We see some playmaking. I know that. Yeah, absolutely. So I went through, you know, I went through just like we when we talked about receivers last week. I re-listened, re-educated myself <laughs> uh, to, to some of your rankings from last year. And at this position, Randy's, I think, either looking for a back who can do it all, play third down, have the explosive athleticism to score from anywhere, or a spot player who has a skill set that fits well uh, with who you already have on your team. Maybe he rounds out your group. So far, so good. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah, I don't think you're – I think you've listened to me too much, and maybe you're, maybe our listeners <laughs> I'm <will> learning. <laughs> bored to death too, but nope. it is what nope. it is, and it's served me well over the years. I know that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Over the years, you have 
drafted Amon Green, all-time leading rusher in Packers history. Deuce McAllister, who is second. I had to look this up. He's second on the all-time list by about 400 yards for the Saints, too. Mm-hmm. You know who's number one? The all-time leading rusher? Yeah. I was that- surprised. Mark Ingram. I think oh, I see. No, no, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know Saints. what you mean. The Saints. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the name that came to my mind. Yes, yep. no doubt. Yes. So a couple good ones there. How do you see this group this year? There's going to be a lot of talk, too, about the number one guy and how early yeah. he should go. Well, I think it's a really good group, to be honest with you, and I was surprised. I looked at probably eight or ten of the consensus guys that most people yeah. are talking about. Um, I don't have a list that gets shaken up much. You might be surprised with one or two names, but the obvious first choice is B. John Robinson from Texas. There's no surprise with him. I was happy to watch him, and I'll just give you a couple facts uh, and then tell you how I gathered the information that I needed. I mean, I think this kid's one of the best players in the draft. He has a complete skill set. He backs up production as a three-down player with all the numbers that anybody ever wants, size, speed, burst, instincts. Um, I could go on and on. He is sudden for a big man, um, probably even more so than – a Ricky Williams, I remember from Texas. I'm wow. trying to think of complete backs like that. Yeah. I think he's all of that. Um, he has hands. He understands routes. He's going to come into the league, I think, as one of the best backs in the league when he gets off the bus. But I thought as a tribute to this guy, I should mention this, he has a lot of big games, some big numbers where he runs for a lot of yards. And, and they're not all against uh, podunk teams. I looked at his game against Alabama in which his, I should look it up, it's a minimal day of like 20 carries for 60 yards or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But I saw on a tough day every skill I needed. So I didn't need to go look at one of these 200-yard games. I looked at a lot of film, but I thought that I could see in the Alabama game, which was not a great game for him numbers-wise, I saw the toughness. I saw the ability to run people over. I saw him run around people. I saw the the pass protection being enough. I saw the skill set as a receiver all in that one game. And it just goes to show me that you don't have to look at big numbers to, to evaluate players. You see that skill set in other games and in other events as well. And, and I was really impressed with this kid. How high he goes, I would kind of have to see the rest. And I haven't seen everybody yet, but I'll end up with a top 10 and maybe we can talk about that next week. I'll be shocked if he's not in that top 10 and maybe in the top five. And I know people are going to say, oh, you can't take a running back that high. That doesn't matter when you're evaluating and stacking your board. That does not matter. You don't get to say, hey, we can't have this guy up there because he's a running back. I think what determines how high he gets is the quality of the players around him at other positions. Positions. I haven't seen 10 better players than Robinson, the running back from Texas. I can promise you that. Yeah, you'd rather have him than the 25th best player in the draft. A hundred percent. Or the third best receiver because we really need a receiver. And again, it's all about options when you're on the clock. you got to pick the thing that's the best option for you. And I struggle, as you know, with picking to fill needs when there are better players on the board. The best draft I ever had, anybody's ever had, is when you line up, your need is also the best player on your board. That's how you determine how quality of a, of a pick the guy is yeah absolutely well you mentioned ricky williams the saints traded their whole draft for him not that that's a good strategy but uh uh it shows you that how in what regard what sort of class you're holding robinson i think a lot of people are but that's yeah that's pretty good that it that it checks out and including i like that you could see it even in a game where he didn't have the stats so yep. uh, you think he's going very high is there and is there no one else really comparable on that level I don't think there's anybody in his level. I could see okay. this kid being a top five pick, and, and that team might be criticized. I, I don't see how they could. Someone's going to get a really good player, and he's good enough to where he's going to make that team better. So I couldn't, I couldn't critique or criticize anybody that sees it that way or that doesn't, you know, says you can't draft a running back because he'll never get to a second contract, and those guys are devalued cap-wise. This guy's a really good player above and beyond all that. So I think yeah. he's – He's phenomenal when it comes to the where he's at right now in the college game. I guess the one downside might be, and I think he's got over 500 carries. So there's yeah. a little mileage there that sure. sometimes can can be a, a, a little bit of a yellow flag. I won't say red flag, but that's yep. that's an issue as well. You have Tank Bigsby of Auburn second. Why and where has he fit into this? He was my surprise of this group, and I don't really know where the 
gurus have him rated. I have not talked to teams about him. But I saw on tape a guy with really good natural run vision, a great feel, excellent pad level through the line of scrimmage. He runs hard. He's six foot two ten, but he ran like a back that weighed 220 to me. His acceleration to make jump cuts when his holes clogged and to put his foot in the ground and go north and south was really good. I thought he made people miss. Um, he plays like a big back, but yet when he gets in the secondary, he plays like a small back. He catches easy, and he also has some return skills, although his returns have been limited as, as a kickoff guy in college, and, and there's not many. I think that would be, could be exploited at the NFL level. All the tools for me to be a surely starting NFL running back would not be surprised if he went you know, late first, early second, somewhere in that range. I'm actually going to look and see where people have him because I am not a huge draft Nick. Yeah, nor am I, I, but yeah. But I determined, a lot of people really follow it, and I just feel like right before the draft, like you're almost better off not listening to what everyone says because there's just a lot of stuff flying around, and then they all get into the league anyway, and they're different from what half the people thought they were going to be anyway. Right. So I'm going to look Tank Bigsby. I'll just look at Dane Brugler's list of running backs. Sure. He had him as the as a third round grade and the uh, the sixth back. So we'll see. Uh, We'll see. And that's what you said before: is hey, one man's opinion is that, and you get together with other people who have different opinions, and you come together for a consensus. That's not going to be your exact ranking, right? Doesn't mean Dane's wrong at all. Just means that we see it a little different, and and we'll see. At the end of the day, you'd love to have a consensus, and it doesn't always mean let's split the difference either. There are a lot of traits and things that one person might see that another person doesn't see. The big thing about evaluating talent and and being a team builder is the idea is to see something in a player that maybe not everybody sees. And when you sit down to consensualize what you're talking about, that's what I would look for in scouts. Give me something that nobody else is seeing or something that everybody else is seeing and it's obvious. Uh, but I want to know exactly what you're seeing that somebody else might not see and identify that trait. So top two backs are in the books, B. John Robinson, Tank Bigsby. Who do you have number three, Randy? I actually have the third and fourth guy rated simultaneously at the same level. I think Devin A. Chain from Texas A&M and Jameer Gibbs from Alabama, I would say are very similar in value. I think they're a little different style back. I'll talk about the A&M kid first. And you mentioned it off the top, Mike, when talking about these running backs, and maybe it's a weakness of mine, but these guys that are explosive and give me the feeling that he might score every time he touches the ball, that's the kind of back I want. I felt like that with Deuce. I felt like that with Amon. I feel like these guys, and this guy's a little smaller. He's 5'9", 188 pounds, two-year starter at A&M, had a full load this year, 196 carries on this smaller frame. Also, though, 36 catches. He might need the right scheme at the next level, but this kid is explosive. He has make-you-miss suddenness. He runs much harder and bigger than those measurables would indicate, like I mentioned. He's hard to get on the ground. He made me say, wow, more than once in a bunch of games, Mike. I mean, I love that. He shows no hesitation to run inside at that size, and he has great speed to bounce and turn the corner. I think the kid could translate, and I didn't see the kickoff return stuff, but I think he could translate into a top kickoff return guy as well. So although his style is different than Gibbs, the Alabama kid, I think both of these guys probably are more suited for a little bit of a niche and a rotational type role. Gibbs, for me, and that's what Gibbs did at Alabama. There's another kid that's an underclassman at Alabama who he shared time with. Mm -hmm. Um, Gibbs had 150 carries, so not quite as much as A-Chain. Um, but his his suddenness, his elusiveness warrants some time for me, and I'm talking about Gibbs, as a slot receiver as well. His best thing he does is catch the ball. He really excels in the pass game. I thought his hands were some of the best hands in the business in, in this year's draft. Um, as a runner, he's a one-cut definitive decision maker. Uh, at 200 pounds, I didn't see him move in piles, but I saw a bigger frame um, than you would think even at that size, 5'10", 200. He might be more of a weapon than an everyday back for me at the next level. But I rated these two guys the same, and it depends on your scheme and how you see as a fit as to who you would pick first. But I like them both. I think both these guys are probably second or third round guys for me. But I would love to have one of these guys, especially A-Chain, 
if you had a need for some explosiveness and some speed, because I think he'll help you on special teams as well. Yeah, very good. And your fifth guy is Zach Evans. We'll miss. Yep. Six foot, 215 pounds, four, five estimate transfer from TCU, an all-around skill set to me that translates to the NFL. Maybe some as a backup, but maybe some as a as a part-time rotational guy. What I liked about him was his natural vision to find holes. He breaks arm tackles. He shows juice to bounce and turn the corner as well, like we had said with some of these earlier guys. Backs that run you know, high four fours, even four five to me are hard to find. It seems like everybody has a, a fast 40 speed and attached to their name now, but they don't always play fast. And that's the difference for me. These guys all for me played fast. Um, Evans needs to shore up his pass protection technique. At the right time in this year's draft, though, I think he's going to be a really good value. I think he fits for teams that run a one back set, might be worthy of reps, like I said, as a slot receiver as well. So a versatile piece that I got excited about seeing. And those were the five best guys that I saw. I'm looking forward to following up next week if we do get into stacking the top 10 or that sort of a thing to figure out where B. John Robinson would slot yeah. in to, to just kind of have that discussion a little bit more because it is it is kind of a uh, a hot-button discussion lately, and I think there's a, probably some good ways to explain it, and it's a lot easier when you're looking at actual players, right? And you can yes. you can make some differentiations and say, hey, where is that spot where uh, even if I do uh, discount the positional value uh, a little bit, I I got to do it. I think that's a yep. really interesting discussion that that could add to the conversation. Let's transition into uh, the tight end rankings here. And uh, one of the things I remembered from last year, I always always was writing down who you had in your top whatevers. And Isaiah Likely was one that we, I think you had as your favorite one coming out of the draft last year. He ended up going mid-rounds, I believe maybe fourth round to the, yeah. to the Ravens. Had a nice year. Uh, I think he, of all the rookie tight ends, he was number one in target share for his team, had 13% of their targets, says a little bit about the, the Ravens' offense, but a nice year for Isaiah Likely. So uh, that was fun. This year, I think as with running backs, you, you looked at kind of the consensus top 10 or so mm-hmm. at the tight end position. What did you find? Comparably speaking to last year's draft, I would say I have much more passion and much more vigor for this year's group. I thought it was a great group, Mike. And I'm not a a guy who recommends tight ends as being a focal point in a passing game. But there's some guys this year that really intrigue me that I love because I think offensive minds and offensive schemes can really use these guys more so than ever before. They don't necessarily have to be part of a system per se. The first guy for me is Utah kid, Dalton Kincaid, 6'3 and a half, 246. I don't know what his speed really is, but he runs 455 on tape for me. He's a really good player, and, and I enjoyed watching him probably as much as any guy I've seen in the draft this year. He can run, he can catch, he can get open without being schemed. He'll be a guy that wherever he ends up, the quarterback locks onto constantly, and he'll be able to find a uh, not only a, a check down with him, but he'll be schemed because he's such a good matchup against linebackers. I don't see how any of NFL linebackers are going to be able to keep up with this guy. His versatility will fit any offense, even though he may not be that traditional end of the line tight end. His skill set translates because he's tough. He's an aggressive offensive weapon. You know, I think he's going to get picked really early. And in most cases, I would say, wait a second. Now we can't pick tight ends in the top 10 or 12. Yeah, Uh, this one would make sense to me. He's that good. And I think he's the explosiveness puts him in the category. And again, this is getting off the bus. He's in the the, uh, Kittle category in the Kelsey, not as accomplished by any means, but this guy has the skill set to jump up at some point to to those kind of, of tight ends in the league. So I was fired up, as you can tell, to watch him. So last year, when the or whenever it was, is it two years now when the Falcons took Kyle Pitts? Is it yeah, been, maybe it's been two, two years, years ago, I think. Uh, yeah. I think it was in the top 10, number eight. You weren't as excited. Now, that, that's also in relation to what's available. How do you feel about Dalton Kincaid in relation to him? And w- just off the top of your head, would you be thinking, hey, maybe he could go that early and I'd be okay? I think he'll be a top 10 player. I don't know how the yeah. rest of the draft is going to stack out as to how high he actually goes. We can have this discussion next year. There's some guys on defense, especially in that front seven, that I haven't fit in in my mind yet as to who yeah. and when I'd rather have them. But Kincaid will be in the mix. He's he's a really versatile offensive piece that I could see offensive coordinators knocking down 
my door as a GM in the NFL and saying, hey, man, this guy can change what we're doing on, on offense. And I've heard that for a lot of years. My pushback has always been, yeah, but you got to scheme him and use him. And that jumps outside the system of what you do. Nowadays, these right. guys are play callers, and they actually design things more so jumping out of a scheme or a rhythm offense. I think that's that part of the football has changed. So I think you can use these tight ends a lot more than you could, and they can be a, a vital part of, of your passing game. So coaching's improved in that sense, right? Well, use, they're more the – they're more apt to get away from their hardcore of their own system, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, which, you know, hey, you have a certain talent here. You can make better use of them as opposed to, well, drafted Dalton Kincaid, but he just doesn't fit. You know? Yeah. Well, make them fit, right? Well, it's kind of um, like it reminds me of Chicago when they had Greg Olson and, and Mike Martz was running the offense and said, yeah, it doesn't really fit with what we're doing. Yeah. Greg, well, uh, Greg Olson was an awesome tight end, and he did pretty good at Carolina for a lot of years. So, yeah, I think now you're talking – and that's probably a good comparison with, with Dalton Kincaid. Uh, Greg Olson was, a, I think, top 15 pick the year he came out. Um, yeah, this guy player. Yeah, has a similar type skill set, maybe even a little more explosive. Yep. You had Darnell Washington of Georgia second. What do you like about him, and how does he compare? I liked everything about Washington, and I didn't know him from Adam. I've watched a little bit of Georgia ball, but I hadn't studied this guy in particular. He has 45 career catches, so you might question how I could even have him rated to this level. I go back a long ways, as we've talked about, a lot of years in the draft. I think I can make a case for this guy maybe being as unique as any tight end that I've seen the last 10 or 15 years. And I'll be honest, I didn't know about him. He's elite size. He's 6065. He's 264. He runs 46. He has size, speed, a physical presence that I have not seen. This is a big dude now, and he's he's like a man playing amongst boys. And this is at Georgia, and they're playing the top schools in the in the country, yeah. right? His yeah. catch radius makes him an open target all the time, even when he's covered. I think he can run after the catch. He's a hard guy for defenders to bring down. He's got really good body control for a big man. In fact, I think his body control for a guy almost 6'7 is rare. He's an effective blocker in the running game to where I would run behind this guy. He stands mm -hmm. next to the tackles at Georgia, Mike, and I, I can't tell you who the tackle is if I don't see their jersey number. That's how big yeah. he is. He moves people on double teams. He completely annihilates people on down blocks. I think he's a real contributor on three downs. And an advanced passing game at the next level would project this guy into the top heap of tight ends, in my opinion. Now, I don't know about his character. I don't know about how he learns best. I don't know about his work ethic. But if those things checked out, this kid would be an option for me uh, to be an every down. And you can justify picking a tight end if he's an every down player and helps you in both the run and pass game. This guy would be a guy that Bill Parcells would say, let's pick this guy now because he does everything that I want in a tight end back in the day. You know, a guy that can line up as a blocker. As a, He's Mark Bavero, only a way better athlete. Six, six and a half, 264. And that is like, you know, really back in the day, tight ends looked like tackles and they kind of were tackles. They didn't, yeah. you know, they didn't all run and move. Yeah. Uh, this guy blocks well. like a tackle, but he runs like a tight end. Yeah. It's great. Good, I was thrilled good, with so. it. was fun to watch him. I don't, again, I don't know where people well, have Why do you rated. have Kincaid above him? It sounded like you, I was almost sold that I want Washington. After well, this. you could make the case, but I think Kincaid is such an explosive athlete yeah. that in this day and age of nine yeah. on or a touch football, seven on seven, which is what the NFL is becoming, it's becoming a more of a passing league than anything. That's why I have Kincaid rated higher, just because I think the yep. passing threat that he brings to the table mm -hmm. is probably a little greater than, than Darnell Washington. Yep. Okay. Number three for you. My next guy, and people tell me to put down a crack pipe too, I think when they hear, <laughs> is a kid from Oregon State, Luke Musgrave, who played two games this year and he had 11 catches. Um, I think my comp for him is Mike Giusecki from the, the yeah. Dolphins. Um, a longer, lineal, um, I have faith to project him to the next level after just the two games from this year. In my exposure, he has speed, he has quickness, he has body control. And I should add that the reason he only played two games is he did have a knee injury. So there's going to be some issues medically, which probably takes him out of the top range um, and the top maybe round or two. But I think this guy is a very good detailed route runner. He has speed to stretch the deep middle in zones. 
I think most most NFL teams will value this guy depending on where he is with the knee as a solid second, maybe a third round pick. This guy can run. He catches with a nice radius. He catches low balls. He catches high balls. But the thing about these guys that are so that are so tall at, at almost six six, his body control makes you think you're watching a much smaller dude, man. I mean, he's in and out of breaks. Yeah. He can he can separate from tight coverage. But yet at six foot six, the quarterback can find him so easily. Philip Rivers always used to say, "Hey, I'm, I want to. I'm he's six six himself. I want to throw to other big guys. It's easy for me to see him and find him." This, yeah. this guy will be that, and he's very athletic. So I like Luke Musgrave from Oregon State as my third tight end. Yeah, okay. Who do you got for? Most of the of the gurus out there that I've seen, and I've watched this kid for a couple years, have this kid rated higher than I do. Michael Mayer, the tight end from Notre Dame. He's a popular uh, evaluation, um, and I don't see anything wrong with this kid. He's a very good college player. He has a versatile skill set. He'll do everything at the NFL level that we ask tight ends to do. He's just not the dynamic athlete that these other three guys. And so that's why he falls fourth on my list. He has physical strength. He has want-to-block attitude. He'll be a good blocker. He can run routes effectively. He can catch everything that's thrown to him. Um, I don't necessarily think the system's going to have to always get him open. It'll have to get him open some because he's not quite as clean in and out of breaks as the other three guys I've mentioned. But I think he's a solid NFL player, and there's a lot of these guys that are starting around the NFL. I, I've heard uh, from a couple of scouts about great character, great work ethic. So I think there's very little risk with him, maybe a slightly safer pick, but he's just a different level of athlete, and it's slightly below these other three guys in my opinion. So for you, he's a harder one to take in the first round. Oh, I could never do that. I couldn't take Musgrave in the first round because of the body of work, and I surely couldn't take Mayer, in my opinion, as as a top round guy at all. I just you're you're getting a guy that runs four seven, and for me the game has changed. If you can't run, Mike, it's a struggle. And I'm not trying to say four yeah. seven can't run, but you can't run compared to these other guys. And so yeah. I think you're looking at a different type of athlete. Again, he'll play, and he'll be, probably go to a place. Like the Giants, where Brian Dayball does want to run the ball, maybe like Buffalo, where they want to run the ball. Um, I don't see him being the dynamic pass catcher and ability to be a matchup nightmare like the other guys that we've talked about. Yep. Sam Laporta of Iowa is number five for you. Yep. How come? I think the versatility is what puts him there for me. And I looked at four or five more of these guys, and he kind of came to the top of that second group. And, and, and I'm talking, you know, now maybe fourth, fifth round, somewhere in the mid part of the draft. Sam is a productive, multi-use guy. I think at 6'3", 250, he runs 4'6", and some change. Um, 150 college catches on his resume. As a, as a tight end, but probably more so as an H-back, a fullback, uh, a U-stick kind of guy who gets moved around in, in different schemes and personnel groupings. I like his quickness. I like his body control. He's got a really nice feel for coverage in the passing game. Ball, hands and ball skills are above average. He's smart. He's under control as a blocker, so he can effectively be used on the second level to block linebackers and combo people in space. Um, he's very good finding the target to block him and then adjusting and being under control when he gets there. I liked him a lot of, of the probably four or five other guys that I looked at as a mid-round choice. I just think the versatility that he shows, the ability to do everything pretty dang good. I think in last year's group, he would have been rated a lot higher, but I think there's four really good yeah. tight ends ahead of him for me. So I think he's, and he'll be a good guy to follow. He's about scheme fit and about an offense that uses a guy like him. And if he gets to the right place, I think he'll be a good solid pro, Sam Laporta from Iowa. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned not generally taking tight ends early. I went back through your Seattle years, and I, I could try to stump you, but you probably saw the notes. The earliest tight end I found you taking, I don't think you took one earlier in New Orleans. And you, if you did later than that, I just didn't get to check. But was probably Christian Fourier, second round of 95. He ended up yep. playing 191 games, had a really nice career, but couldn't find a first rounder. Do you ever remember taking one? No, I promise round. you I didn't take one. Uh, it seemed like we always had too many other needs, maybe. I don't yeah. know. But tight end back. the position, too? Yeah. The, the effectiveness of that position wasn't a priority. And yeah. I always thought, and, and it's changed a little bit, that if the tight end is the focal point of your offense, we're probably a slower, plodding-type offense. And that was nothing that against these yeah. guys. It was just wasn't what I was trying to build. And that's just my personal preference. Yep.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right. What do you got in the GM notebook? That's a great question. Let me thumb through it. I know we're running yeah, out of time. No, here, I know so we, we no, we're doing end. fine. We're actually well, doing great. But we, I thought I noticed there's this. three things in there. I didn't steal any of them this week. Yeah. I, I'm used to having nothing when we, when we get to the end of the show that- you haven't pilfered through that list at the end of it. So I have to make something up on the fly. I thought this was interesting. And, and those of our listeners probably follow the NBA as well. And what the Mavericks did at the end of their season. And I got a lot oh, yeah. of this because I'm in Dallas, right? So I hear oh, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Mavericks take yeah. all the time. Well, Cuban's always ripping on the NFL. Remember, the oh, NFL is going to be out of business in yeah. 10 years. And, that stuff. Those that might not know that the Mavericks had a chance the last game of the year to win and get in the playoffs, but elected to essentially tank and yeah. take a pick that was protected if they didn't make the playoffs and keep it and and elect to not make the playoffs instead. So that pick is yet to be determined where it is, depending on the lottery and where their ball comes up. But it could be a 10, 11, 12 in the first round pick. But they elected to pass on going to the playoffs to get a potential of maybe a top 10 or 12 player next year. And I thought, if I did something like this in the NFL where I was in charge of a team, I, I don't know if I'd have the guts to walk through the locker room and talk to players again if I asked them to do this so that we could potentially get a player, unknown player, un, un, undrafted player, and pass up on a chance to get in the playoffs. Now, maybe the, the, the game of, the NBA, of NBA basketball is totally different. I get it. One player can really matter, but I don't know that it's a guarantee they're going to get that player. And I think the culture of what football is all about, the culture of that locker room, not giving everything it has, not producing a winning playoff team, not building off that success, the culture is just so different that those guys might tar and feather me when I walk through there. I just struggled with that whole concept. Help me. Maybe yeah. I'm just seeing it from an old school guy. Well, you would – I do – I, I lo thought about this quite a bit at the time because my, my initial instinct is like yours, that, hey, we're always here trying to do our best to win the game no matter what, that everyone's always doing that. But then I also kind of see it as more of a reflection of the system of the NBA, the way that it's set up. They, they set it up in a manner to where maybe in the long-term interest of the organization, this actually could be a big difference uh, for their team, which I don't know. I don't – I I – followed the NBA very closely in the 80s and the 90s. Then I was married, family, covering the NFL, didn't really watch. And and now I'm a little bit back into it this year because uh, having grown up in Sacramento when the Kings moved there, I was already kind of a Laker fan. Kareem was my guy. Yep. But I followed the Kings. And then really the last 10 or 15 years, they've been so detestably bad that I stopped watching well now they're back in it so now i'm an expert i've watched a few games with the kings i really know about it but i i would imagine that there is a difference 
if there's different mechanisms that work to tank in the NBA, guys are already missing games for load management. Yeah, it's it a it came down world, to no playing doubt. different players, right? In the NFL, it'd be very impractical. You'd be asking guys to go out there and play who are starters, offensive linemen and stuff, in a game you're not trying to win and risk your bodies and, and yeah. play all out in a manner that I think it's more acute and and difficult to do in the NFL. That's what I would think. And I don't disagree with any of that. I think you've said it a lot yeah. clearer than, than I ever could. I just know that everything we're trying to do on the NFL side and the message yeah. and the, the content of the fabric of our team, yeah. I don't know if I could put that at rest and not try to win. And and I, I bristle at the tanking stuff. It's thrown around by the media a ton. It's even in the NFL. Right, right. Yeah. I've never even thought about it. I've never, I don't agree. I think every NFL team is trying their butts off to win uh, for the 99% of the time. Because guess what? You're, you're going to be tanking for the next GM and the next coach so they can pick the player because <laughs> we're all day to day in the NFL. So yeah. I just, yep. I don't believe in it and I don't believe it happens, but maybe I just need to open my mind a yeah. little bit. No, it's a struggle no, for me. I think I'm with you. And I thought that, I just thought there was a little, the fact that it was Mark Cuban being as outspoken as he is, and then he got what he get fined a bunch of money and yeah, maybe seven hundred fifty grand, just just a little uh, bit. I yeah, know you, I know you probably money, lose so. that in your couch at night, but seven hundred fifty <laughs> mils a lot of or seven hundred fifty grand is a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's the second item in the notebook? The second item caught me off guard a little bit, and and I always end up. I don't want to pick on Ron Rivera, but he was in his draft um, presser in the last week or so made a comment when asked about. Uh, Lamar Jackson and the new owner and all that. And he kind of poo-pooed it by saying, I got to get back in my draft meetings. We have our quarterback. I guess my only take on it was if I was Ron and I've been in an ownership group that traded ownership in and around the draft, I would be trying to do everything I can and listen to every point of view I can to collect the amount of information I can to, to always put us in the middle of a deal. And it seemed like, and maybe he just doesn't want the media to run rampant with the Lamar Jackson speculation. Yeah. I get that part of it. But I would surely be dealing with the new owners as much as I can. To And if I'm the new owner, I would want to say, hey, we need to investigate all of this stuff. I just hope behind the scenes that it wasn't, that the, the concept isn't as dismissive as it seems like when, when Ron is asked about this publicly. I think that the dismissive part of it bothered me a little bit. I would hope that yeah. commander fans are are more of the ilk that, hey, can we do everything to make this team as good as we can? I don't know. Maybe it's just that I'm not buying the Sam Howell stuff at this point and anointing him the king of poobah. But I, I just think if I was them, it might make some sense to talk about the Lamar Jackson deal in some vein because he would change and raise our expectations of everything we're doing around here. And I guess my tenor was, Ron must have about a 10-year contract because his answer came across as, I have no pressure on me to do anything. I'm just going to be here forever. And, and I've been in those shoes. Everybody's, everybody's replaceable. And I just didn't feel like he gave it justice. That's all. Yeah. I, it'll be interesting. We didn't even talk about the ownership change of the commanders. Yeah. Maybe we can do that another time. But yeah. it's, it's been talked about a lot. Uh um, you know, and some of part of me thinks that Ron Rivera has already served his purpose there pretty much, which was to get them through uh, the end of the Snyder regime. Yeah, I'm not saying he's going to be, right. be fired or anything like that, but yeah. I think he was brought in because he was a credible person who had been in the chair before, who could handle the tough questions um, and give them a respected face to an organization that was not respectable at that time and was going through a bunch of stuff. So, Which I think he's done. He's been great yeah. at it. Yeah, but he's I do think they're, at some point they need to do better too. So that will be interesting to see what, you know, the new owner's going to come in. I can't imagine. I would think there's going to be some changes, just put it that way. Yeah, um, could when, be. When that comes in, but we'll see. Yeah, This year could say a lot of that, how well they do. Yeah. Uh, maybe how is the answer? We'll find out. Right. Number three in the notebook for you? Well, I had, I, and I want to give this more time. I know we're a little bit up against the time. The Buda Baker request for a trade in Arizona probably spawns a little bigger conversation just yeah. in where their culture is, where they've come and gone from in the last, you know, month. I think there's a lot of things going on there that I would like to speak in, on the Buda Baker issue at some point, but I just think they're, they have some bigger fish to fry in Arizona. And, and if my best player, the heart and soul of my team, wanted to be traded, I would sure try to make him feel 
welcomed enough to where it didn't get to the public. That was really the disappointing part for me because I know a little bit about Buddha. Obviously, we know he's a, a, a Seattle kid, and I know he wants to win. And for him passionate. to come out, yeah, passionate. Yeah. Uh, and I know he comes at this from the heart and from the emotional standpoint. I, I don't blame anybody for this. I, I just think at some point, if if my best player is out there doing this, it's probably harmful for the cause. So I think that's that's a discussion that I oh, think well. in, yeah, in a team building yeah. fashion probably needs to be had internally. And I would have hoped it that hopefully it I'm, didn't happen. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna like blame this. Michael Bidwell for that, is what I'm well, gonna blame. Because be, I yeah. mean this is really uh this is really not just an isolated thing that happened right now. This yep. has been coming. Right. And right. that organization has been um, through a lot of questionable decisions, uh, which we've listed before. You could yep. list 10 different things that are, wow, each one would be a stain on your record if you were the owner of a team. And he's got 10 stains. And this latest thing coming out, we don't know where it's going to go with Terry McDonough or Steve Wilkes is suing him. All of those things, their handling of all of it, uh, to me, this is a reflection on ownership. Because if the owner could credibly go to Buda Baker. If you were a really good owner who had yeah. the respect of everyone in the locker room, a guy right. like Buda Baker who really would do anything to be on the field, really football character, unquestioned football yep. character. If you said who yep. has, a, if you put together a list of guys who had the best football character, Buda Baker is going to be on the list. So I'm giving Buda Baker the benefit of the doubt and saying that this is a reflection of the difficulties in the relationship that starts at the top. I'm not blaming Monty Austin for it. He just got there. I He's agree. never even maybe hardly met very much with Buda Baker. So that's just a reflection of that. And we'll, we'll see where it goes from, from here. Well, I totally agree. And once again, you've, you've relayed my thoughts way more articulate than I can. So I appreciate that. And I think we're well, on the same page your ideas. for sure. I always steal your ideas. No, no, it's not the no. idea. It's the fact that you do yeah. this for a living and I'm yeah. a kid yeah. from Idaho that's stumbling <laughs> along trying to get my words right. So I, I appreciate you giving out my thoughts because I couldn't have done it like that. So yeah. good, good work. Well, I think we feel the same way on that one. And and uh, I, I'm going with Buda Baker uh, all the way. No uh, question. Very, very respected player. So I don't know if we're out of time. We're out of topics for the week. Otherwise, we'd keep going. Uh, when's your next game, Randy? We play Sunday in Seattle against the Vegas Vipers. Uh, last, last regular season game uh, with a playoff uh, berth on the line. So I'm looking forward to getting through this week and playing a little football uh, up in Seattle this weekend. It's great. My uh, youngest son and some buddies are going to go to the game. Uh, we were, were able to go to, the, I think, the last home game, too, thanks to Randy. Uh, mm -hmm. That was fun. So best of luck to you with that. And certainly as we started the show talking about Chris Smith, just uh, you know, want to send as many positive thoughts on that yep. front, too. Thank and you. And we'll, we'll close the way we normally do by, uh, by letting everybody know where they can find our work, Randy. You can find some of his stuff at MuellerFootball.com. You can find him on Twitter at RandyMueller underscore. Uh, I'm Mike Sando from The Athletic, and you can find me on Twitter at SandoNFL. Thanks for coming along, and we'll talk to you next week. Randy, we'll be going right into the draft. Love it. We've got some more draft topics to hit on, so I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. We'll see you guys then. This was The Athletic Football Show.